Good morning, Redemption. My name is Warren. I'm one of your pastors here, and I'm glad to be with you as we are continuing along in our series in Advent, the prayer in action of Christmas. So to get us started this morning, I wanted to ask you the question, have you ever had the experience like there was a weight that you just couldn't lift off of yourself? I remember I had this feeling back in uh, 2008. Uh, my family and I, we took a trip to Puerto Plata in the Dominican Republic. And the way my family does it, uh, we like to stay on the resort. We're kind of basic like that. And so we stay on the resort. We actually did something like this this past summer. Stay on the resort, but we try to get one day where we can go out and do some sort of excursion that will take us into the country so we can, like, actually check off the country off our list and feel good about it. And so um, there were a number of excursions. There were a number of options available. And the one that we chose was one that would put us on off-roading vehicles. And so we would do off-roading, and we would get to see the city and the surrounding uh, country that way. And so day finally came. I remember the guide, uh, we, we, we arrived at the location where the vehicles were, and the guide showed us like what, what, were, what our options were. And they were either dune buggies or ATVs. And I was like, dune buggies? That sounds like something like out of a Scooby-Doo movie or something like that. I was like, no, we don't, we don't do that here. I'm, I'm going to get on an ATV. And my parents chose a, a dune buggy. And so we started off. Started off. We started cruising. And honestly, I feel like I was getting the hang of it. Like, I was, I was on that ATV, felt like I was like living out some sort of like X Games dream or something like that. I started to even like stand up sometimes. I was like really feeling myself. I was like, yeah, all those years and experience of off-roading in New York City is like really coming to, <laughs> come, come to fruition and help here. And so, so I'm navigating, I'm going, I'm going. And um, I look ahead and I see there's this road coming up, right? And as I look at the road, I notice that off the road, there's like, it's kind of weird. It looks like there's just a road, but there's like this drop-off off the side. And so, you know, I'm a professional. And so I was like, all right, I see that coming. I'm going to make sure I navigate and do what I need to do to avoid dropping off the side of it. And so, you know, I'm going, I'm going, I'm cruising, and I finally get onto that road, right? And I don't know what happens. I don't know how this happens, but sometimes when you're just like, focused on something and your eyes are like looking in that direction, all of a sudden you just find yourself moving that way. And so I found myself drifting, right? And before I knew it, back wheels falling off the side, front wheels falling off the side, all of us, and when I say us, I just mean the vehicle and me, <laughs> falling off the side, falling down this hill. It felt like it was happening in slow motion. I was like, no, like, oh no, here we go. And before I knew it, boom, dropped at the bottom of that hill with an ATV on top of me. So I'm lying there. I got this 400-pound vehicle on top of me. I'm hurt. Mostly I'm just embarrassed. Um, and so I'm lying there. Couldn't really move. Shocked, hurt, all the above. And eventually the guide comes, and he's like, oh, my gosh. Like, I think he's expecting to see, like, blood and for me to be like crying and I was crying but it was low so you can hear it um and he just is expecting a scene right and so he comes he's like oh my gosh how are you doing and you know my first words I was like learn and row is the way to go call 977-1900 because there was no way that this was my fault as I said I've been doing this I'm from New York we've been we've been uh, off-roading 
all the time. But in reality, you know, he had to come and he helped me and I was okay. And thank God he protected me in that case. And I didn't really walk away with much damage besides my pride. But as I was stuck there, I was stuck there at the bottom of that hill, stuck there with this weight on top of me that I couldn't actually lift off myself. I didn't have the strength to do it myself. And I think that's a good image for us today. Because today we're going to be talking about oppression. Talking about oppression. And the way that we often see oppression described in Scripture is just that, like a weight that people feel on top of them, whether that be emotionally or uh, mentally or spiritually, as they're being exploited or taken advantage of. I know this is a word that's very popular in our day, incites a lot of conversation online and in person and and so forth. And there seems to be a spectrum, right? Like my, uh, my phone broke earlier this year, uh, year and T-Mobile was giving me a hard time. I was like, ah, the oppression. And my wife was like, you're just being inconvenienced. Like, relax, relax. <laughs> so we know there's like that. We know it's, a, it's one that's thrown out. But there's, often, but there's also just the reality of like, man, there's people inside, outside of our country who've experienced oppressive regimes, oppressive cities, oppressive systems, and we know that it's something that's present in our world today. We know that it's something that stems from the spiritual world as Satan and the power of darkness often use this, use oppression, use these sorts of things to influence the actions of people, systems, structures in our physical world. Oppression is a factor in our world. And so our question this morning is, how does Advent, how does the arrival of Jesus address oppression in our world? That's what we'll be exploring today. But before we do that, would you join me in prayer? God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that as we hear from your word today, God, that we would feel your care for us. God, that we would feel you, the one who has come in Advent and is with us. God, be with us now. Let your spirit open up our hearts to receive what you have to say today. In your name, amen. So we are going to start in Isaiah 61, verse 1. And the verse says, Isaiah is speaking and giving us some uh, insight into the mind of Jesus. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound. And so what we see is Isaiah looks to Jesus' day, looks to the Messiah, and he says that the Messiah is coming to bring good news to the oppressed. Coming and bring good news. Isaiah is looking to the day where God will send one who will deliver, one who will provide hope and healing and freedom to those under the weight of oppression. You see that in the Old Testament, oppression oppression is something that God's people are very familiar with as God had to save them. He had to rescue them out of the oppressive regime of Egypt where they were enslaved. And beyond that, they would find themselves uh, subjugated by these outside forces, the Babylonians, the Romans, Egypt, all these different nations subjugating that. And in the midst of that, Isaiah writes this prophecy that God will send a Messiah who's going to come, and he's going to come and bring a freedom unlike anything the world has ever seen before. 
But you can imagine how hard, how difficult it must have been to just like hold out hope. Right? To hold on to hope as the hundreds of years would pass from when Isaiah writes this and all the different nations that come it, and, and dominate. And it always seems like just the way of the world, the powerful and the mighty are on top and they're the ones ruling and the lowly and the, the, the weak are crushed. I think it had become such like ingrained, right, in just the way of the world that even the people of God, even within themselves, right, they started to treat one another this way. Oftentimes, God had to speak to them about the oppression even within them. And I think they had come to just the way they were thinking about it as well, the powerful and the mighty, those who are ruling in our time, that they actually have God's favor and those who are suffering are far away from him. And so that was the prevailing thought. That was the way the world thought about things. That, that was, those were the, the, the powerful and the mighty were the winners and those who were weak were the losers. And so 700 years pass from when Isaiah 61 is written. And after those 700 years, God comes in Christ to reverse the paradigm of winners and losers. Totally flip it on his head. Because Jesus is the spirit-anointed Messiah that the people of God and the oppressed of our world at large had been waiting for. And as we see that during his ministry, the poor and oppressed, they ran towards him. They found their hope in him. They saw his power to rescue, while the powerful often felt threatened. They often felt in danger. The oppressed run to him, and they found just an ability to be rescued, to have the weights of their life lifted. There were many that were waiting under the weight of oppression. And even today, there are a lot of cities, there are a lot of places where they're in that same condition. One of those places, um, so after I graduated from college, I thought I would go and work in some like big Manhattan firm and um, let's be honest, make a lot of money down there. Um, and you know what? God had other plans and thank God for that because what God had me, where he actually called me was to a moving company, the office of a moving company in the South Bronx. And so the South Bronx has oppression, oppressive elements externally, internally, all around it. And it's one of those places that as soon as you get in there, right, as soon as you kind of like just get into the area, you can feel the heaviness of what people are experiencing. I remember I would get off the train on 138th Street in Grand Concourse. Not that you guys know where that is, but it's just the details, you know, details matter. Um, 138 in Grand Concourse, I would get off of there and I would get out and you would just feel it, right? I would, I would have a walk that I would have to get to my job and I'd have to pass all these places that were just like reminders of just the heaviness people were under. One of those places was a strip club aptly named Sin City. And I was like, well, Sin City for a strip club? That actually is a good name. At least we all know what's going on there. No, no surprises. But you would hear just the different stories of the women who were being exploited at that place. And then you would keep walking. I would keep walking, and I'd walk past the housing projects. 
where people were just under the weight of poverty and just all that comes out of that, the drug abuse, the gangs, violence, and so forth. And then I would get to work. And then as I got to work, our primary employee base were people who really, that job was the only job they could really get in many circumstances. Right? Because of the circumstances in their life, that was the only job they could get. And I think the tough part about it was this, was that um, the management there, they actually like treated the people that way. Right? The moving job, is being a mover is a, a tough job, right? and especially in New York City where there are like no elevators. And so people's bodies would just be getting broken, and instead of having compassion and care for them, it would just be like, well, too bad, good luck. We don't care about you. We only care about you as much as you can work for us. It was that weight of the working poor. People were treated as animals instead of people who are created in God's image. And I think that's the reality whenever oppression occurs between people, right? Whether it be systemically, racially, between countries, classes, whatever it is, right? Is that someone or a group says, hey, I am not going to acknowledge or treat you like you are made in God's image. I am going to treat you like you are just a means to whatever the end is that I need to get. You know, I remember I talked to a lot of people when I, was, when I was there, when I was working there. I would come across a lot of different people, hear a lot of different stories. And it's interesting. It was really interesting to hear just the differences of conversations, right? Because you had one group, you had some amongst there who were just like, they had become hardened by everything that was happening around them. They had become really hardened, and I think hatred had just kind of taken over, given all the circumstances that they were experiencing. But then there was these others, right? There would be other people who, in spite of the reality that they were experiencing all around them, they lived with this deep confidence that God was with them, that God was present with them, and their lives had purpose and dignity and value because he remained with them no matter what the circumstances were. They, they, they lived in their reality, but they hadn't become overcome by their reality. They were the, like, presence of joy in the midst of all of what was going on around them. And I think for me, there I get a reminder of Advent. I get a reminder of the beauty of Advent because the beauty of Advent says to the oppressed people of our world, however they may be experiencing it, that hope is alive. Because in Advent, we celebrate the arrival of Jesus who has come to lift the weight off of the oppressed. He meets them and he invites them into life within his kingdom. I think we often wonder, some of us have gone on those missionary trips or have gone overseas and you've been in places where people didn't have much, but yet you experience this powerful presence of God there. And I think part of that is because maybe in the absence of what people don't have, they recognize how much they need God. He shows up there powerfully. It's almost like I heard someone say, God is showing up where he's wanted. It's bringing good news. 
And I know what Jesus wants to do is bring good news to that area in the South Bronx. I know he wants to tell the women who are being exploited at Sin City that, hey, I know what it's like to be around prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors and all sorts of people that the world has written off. I identify with you not to just leave you where you are, but to bring transformation into your life, to release you from the bondage that you are experiencing. That it's not about that I couldn't care less about what you've done. No, it's, it's about I couldn't care more for who you are, and I've come to rescue you. He says to the people in the projects, the people who are just stuck in poverty, that while the world may not value you, that you have a place in my kingdom, that I take an interest in you, and Jesus knows poverty. During his life here on earth, he wasn't a rich man. He knows what their circumstances are like, and he's like, hey, you may not inherit a bunch of money or land from your parents, but you can inherit a place in my kingdom. The working poor at, at, at my job who, or at my previous job who were feeling like they were kind of yoked in slavery to what was happening there. Right? They heard the word of God to say, these bosses, these people don't define you, I define you. You belong to me. Come to set you free. They were the ones that were able to forge ahead. Those are the ones oftentimes when they quit, I was like, yes, let's go. But able to live with lives, recognizing the dignity and value that God saw in them. This is the work that Jesus has come to do. It's what's on his mind as he was coming to lift the weight off of those who were oppressed, lift the weight off those who the world may have seen as insignificant. What he did during his earthly ministry and his spirit is still present in our world, lifting the weight of many today, meeting them at their point of need. And so we see how Jesus <clears throat> looks at the oppressed. We see how Jesus looks at those on the margins. We see how he moves towards them. But what are we as followers of him supposed to do? What, are, what does his actions proceed for our actions today. We want some insight to that. We can stay in the book of Isaiah and we can look earlier to Isaiah 1 verse 17 where God, where Isaiah writes this, um, he says, learn to do good, <clears throat> seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. So we see this. And in Advent, right, as we, if we think about what we're supposed to do, right, we know what God's doing. We see what God's doing in Christ. What, what are we supposed to do? And what I think we're supposed to do is that Jesus is calling us into action and helping to lift the weight off the oppressed. Called into action. So the Bible has much to say about those who are poor, suffering, um, on the margins around us. We see that God, even as he talks to his people, that he's often, he often gets very upset, right, where people are praising him with their lips but not moving towards those who are suffering all around them. I think this act of moving towards the suffering was supposed to be a reminder to God's people 
right, that we don't abide by the law of the land. We don't abide by might makes right or whoever dies with the most things at the end wins. We don't, we don't abide by any of that, right? We abide in remembrance of what God has done, and we respond. And so God tells his people this, look outside yourself and try to stand in the experience of someone else. Seek justice where injustice has occurred. Be the voice of someone who may be voiceless. Be conduits of the healing, the restoration that I am going to bring to this world. So we are called into action. And I think if we look in the Gospels and we look at how Jesus works, we get a template into how he is addressing the multiple layers of brokenness in our world. We look at when Jesus heals a man who is possessed with the demon in Luke 8. And there's multiple layers of brokenness happening in this man's story, right? First problem, he's possessed by a demon. That's a huge problem to have, and that's his problem. Under the power of the devil. But this possession has led itself to multiple outworkings in his physical world, right? Because as we read about him, we see that he is living among tombs. He is naked. He's cutting himself. He's completely cut off from any sort of community. They were very afraid. They had him in chains, and they weren't singing Break Every Chain. They were like, please stay in those chains, man, because we are afraid. And so the community had kind of written him off. Maybe they kind of made it concrete in their minds of who he was, who his problem was, and where he should be. But you see, while everyone was moving away from him, Jesus set his face on him and said, that's where I'm going. That's who I'm going to. And he moves towards him in compassion. While maybe he was despised and everyone was afraid of him, Jesus said, no, 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 that's where I'm going. And, when he, and so Jesus goes and he heals him. He frees him of that demonic possession. But, you know, he just doesn't go like, all right, you're healed. Good luck. Hope there's like a Ross around here for you to get some clothes or something. No, when we find the man... Again, when the community finds the man, he is clothed, he's in his right mind, he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And beyond that, what Jesus actually does is he says, I'm going to give you a purpose. I'm actually going to give you the purpose to go and proclaim all of what God has done. You guys see the multiple layers there of restoration? We see how Jesus is lifting these multiple weights that are crushing his life. And here's the thing, not, while no single one of us can do all these things, as the body of Christ, we can participate, we can step into action at the different levels of oppression, the different ways that people need the weights lifted off to them. We can step into that in the places that God has placed us, using our gifts, using our talents, using our treasures, possessions, our time, whatever it may be. We can step in and step into action for the rest, into the restoration that God wants to bring, that he will bring to our world. And, you know, I think about, <clears throat> I think about this. 
Like, when are the times, or what makes me, like, not want to be active? What are the things that, like, causes me to be inactive? And I think if I had to sum it up, it'd be this. The truth is, I often want to help kind-hearted, upright people whose poverty or oppression came on without any contribution from them and who will respond to my help with gratitude and joy. God's working on my heart, y'all. And I think he's, he's, he's addressed this in multiple ways. It's an ongoing issue. The first way he's addressed it is like, hey, pretty much no one like that exists. No one like that exists. Second way is that's not the prerequisite for me to move towards someone. Prerequisite for me moving towards someone is that I remember the grace that I received when I was undeserving, when I was unkind, when I had my back turned to God, he still pursued me. That's why we move in compassion. Because there's a God who moved in compassion towards us when we were undeserving of anything good. And so my prayer is this normally. I say, God, give me Give me a vision like you have. Give me a vision that you have in looking out for the least of these. Give me fresh eyes. Because we know that God sees us with fresh eyes. We know that his eyes never grow tired of seeing us. Give me that sort of perspective. Help me to act in grace or respond in grace, not guilt. Right? Guilt, all it does is it builds resentment as you try to justify yourself. But what grace says is, no, I am a recipient, and I don't need to justify my identity. I have been given an identity, and so I respond in that. I live out of that, and I move in compassion, sharing the love of Christ to others. And something I've always appreciated about our church is how intentional you guys have been doing this how intentional you've moved towards the different layers of oppression. We even heard Stephanie talk about it in the spotlight this morning. She talked about even there was a a service that removes tattoos, like just addressing multiple layers that people feel the weight on their lives. I think about the Rio Vista Center and just the work that happens there, right? There's the presenting problem of uh, food, right, that the working poor are not able to afford groceries very often and that there's a market that's set up that provides food. That's an important presenting problem. But I think about even beyond that, and the Rio Vista Center has a job center and clothing, and beyond that, like the volunteers who are there, what I often see is as they're helping people, they're asking them, hey, how can I pray for you? How can I give you some encouragement from God for this week? And I just think about that could be the only time someone has ever asked that in the last month. And it just reminds us that we can pray for people, preach the gospel, and we can also give them groceries too. Amen? Think about just even as our Advent initiative is bringing in uh, kitchen items for refugee families. And again, important, right? This is going to help people's houses feel like home and families to have amazing dinners together. That That is awesome. But I even think about the people who have spent week after week with refugee families, 
right, helping to bring them out of alienation as they transition to this country. I think about the teachers who are oftentimes thinking, hey, how can I help these students maybe who are coming from disadvantaged places? How can I help them to feel cared for as they come each day to my classroom? Many ways that you guys are stepping into this. There's much work being done. The reality is, is God is still calling us into more. You know, I, I did some research into uh, our spotlight this morning in human trafficking, and I saw that Arizona is a prime transit and destination area for sex and labor trafficking. So this isn't just like a problem out in the world. This is a problem right in our state. And I know God is going to be calling some of you guys into that prayer and action group, right, to step in. And as he leads to step into the lives of people who are suffering right now and help to bring the rescue, the, the restoration, the rescuing from bondage that he wants to bring in their lives. You see, this is the work of Christmas. Where is God calling you into action? Where is God calling you into action? You know what, after the songs aren't playing anymore and the Amazon boxes stop showing up on our doorsteps, food's over, we continue the work of Christmas to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, and to bring the peace of God to all of life. Amen? So we see in Advent, Jesus is active in our world. Jesus is lifting the weight off of many in our world doing it through his power, through his spirit, through his people. I guess the question always remains then, if we get everyone volunteering and we get all the money that, you know, to fix, to address every problem, will it be enough? Will it be enough? Let's pick up, we're going to jump back to Isaiah 61, and this time we'll be reading verses 2 and 3. And it says this of the Messiah. It says the Messiah is that he has come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And so Isaiah looks to Jesus' day, right? But he even looks further. He looks further to a day where all oppression will end once and for all. All oppression will cease once and for all. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus actually quotes from Isaiah 61. He's given a scroll in the temple and he opens it up. He stops right there. He stops right in our passage. And when he reads Isaiah 61, he actually reads it and he says, hey, this is fulfilled in me. This is fulfilled in your, today in me. But the interesting part about him reading it is that he stops at the first part of verse 2. Right? Many have questioned, well, well, why? Why is that the case? And the reason why many commentators believe that that is the case, while many have come to believe why he stopped specifically in that place, is because basically he was announcing everything that was going to be accomplished through his first arrival. And verse, or, uh, verse 2b and on are what he is going to accomplish in his second advent. 
as he returns and establishes his rule and reign to eternity, restoring all things. And what he says is that there will be a day where all the weights that people feel will be lifted. There will be a day where those who've only known mourning and sadness and pain will know gladness. There will be a day where those who maybe have just felt weak and always weary in our world will know a day of everlasting strength. There will be a day when however, however the weight of sin and the weight of death and destruction and however it's presented itself in our world, that that weight will be lifted once and for all. And instead of feeling like you're maybe being tossed in, uh, to and fro, that you are going to be planted forever to God's glory. You see, there's coming a day where Jesus is going to come and lift the weight of our world once and for all. I don't know about you guys, but it's, it's a day I, I really long for. You know, I think the Christmas season for me has always been kind of like a, it's a weird one. Ever since I was a kid, I remember, you know, after Thanksgiving, you get like the big rush of the music and the shopping. Some people start the music before Thanksgiving, which is ridiculous. But you get all the rush of the season, right? The shopping, music, food, etc. And there's this big buildup towards December 25th. And for me, like December 25th would come, we'd open our gifts. And then like as the day would go on, I start to get a little bit sad. Because I start to realize like, all right, like coming to an end. And I thought, well, maybe that was just me being like sad boy kid or something like that. But I realized that like even as I got older, the feeling remained. And so I looked into this. I was like, do I just got like a Scrooge gene or something? Like I got the, the bah humbug or something. And so uh, I looked into this and I saw that many, many feel this way. Many people feel this way. It's act, there's actually like a name for this. It's called like post-holiday blues or something like that. You know, if you look up anything online, there's a name for it. Like, <laughs> um, Post-holiday blues, and the way it's described, there's this, there's this big drop-off, right? It's almost like the holidays can be like a, a, a covering for just all of what we're going through, like, day by day, right? The grind of life. And that there's a reality that all, after all the festivities are done and the food is over and all that's done, there's still relationships that are fractured. There's still the pain of people starving all around us. Right, we stepped into this big problem, but there's still one more person that needs to be saved. Right, there's still this the realness of the things that are happening in our world. So here's where I feel like God has helped me to remember. Is that the day that I'm anticipating is not December 25th. December 25th is great. But December 25th is great because it reminds us that our God has come, that he started a work, and that he is coming back to bring it to completion. The day I'm looking forward to is the day when Christ finally comes and he ends oppression and lifts the weight that everyone's feeling once and for all. This is the reason why we can say the words Merry Christmas and actually mean it. 
right? If you think about that Merry Christmas and you think about all that's wrong in the world, you're like, well, kind of. Right, but we can say Merry Christmas because we know that the God who has come, that he has started the work again, he's going to finish it, and that we look forward to the day when his second advent arrives upon us. I know some of you today, you are feeling the weight of a lot of things. Maybe you're feeling some of the weights that I described, but maybe it's something else. Maybe it's just the weight of grief. Like some of us are experiencing this season Maybe it's the first time since we lost someone close to us. Feeling the weight of heartbreak because of someone who's not with you this Christmas. And you know what? The emails have stopped coming in. The texts have stopped coming in. And the pain remains in your heart. I want you to hear that God is with you now. And we can celebrate that there will be a day where every single tear that we have shed will be wiped away once and for all. Where death will no longer have to crush our hearts each and every time. The day I look forward to, when I think about my friend who was murdered and his son that has never known a Christmas with his dad. Got to be a God who's coming back and bringing justice to our world. Others of you are just feeling the weight of weariness, just the weight of anxieties. So much of our world just feels to always be shifting and changing, and it just feels like, well, where are we going? What's happening? Now, here's what I want you to hear is that our world isn't on some endless trajectory to some unknown end. That Jesus is ruling and reigning right now, And while there may be many things that may be shaken up, when things get shaken, the things that get uprooted are the things mostly that are on the surface anyway. But you can be sure that what won't be shaken is the fact that you are planted in him and that you are in his father's and his loving arms and nothing will be able to shake you from the eternal security of that. That you are planted and he will return and we will reign in glory with him forever. That's our assurance. No matter what is shaken up around us, nothing could shake us and separate us from his love. We remember those words from Jesus when he says this in Matthew. He says, the gates of hell will never prevail against his church. Second Advent reminds us of this, that it's hell that's on the defense. They're the ones with the gates. But the glory of God is on a mission, and it will move forward, and it will finish, that he will bring it to completion, and the restoration of all things is coming. And so until then, we wait in anticipation. We celebrate God of Advent, Emmanuel, who is with us now, that he has come, he dwells with his people, And that he will continue with us until the end of the age, into eternity. And we wait for the day. Every weight is lifted once and for all. Amen? Merry Christmas. And now we come to the table. Table reminds us of this, that the weight of oppression, 
by the weights that we carry in our lives, that they will be lifted, that they are being lifted because Jesus bore the weight of the world's sin on himself. That his body given for us and his blood shed for us, we remember that he committed no sin, yet was willing to bear the full weight of the cross so that we could live eternally with him. So as followers of Jesus, we come in remembrance of that, his sacrifice, of his love for us, his grace for us, how we are to respond given the reality of what he's done for us. So I'm going to pray and we'll transition into worship. And as I'm praying, I encourage you to think about these two things. One is there's some weight that you're feeling on your life that you want to just go with someone and pray with them. Like go before God and pray with someone. We'll have some prayer people on the side here. Come forward. We'd love to pray with and for you. And then secondly, this, this question is for today and this week. Where is God calling you into action? In your sphere of life, in your sphere of influence, where is God calling you into action? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the work that has come because you have come. Come into our world, God. You come bringing good news. You come inviting us into what you're doing. God, and you come and remind us, God, to hold on, Lord. Hold on, because you are coming back. And so this week, God, as we go out, as we go into the different places where you've called us, God, empower us by your grace, Lord, to be conduits, God, of your healing, of your love, to extend your grace and love and mercy to those uh, that uh, need it, those who need good news. God, we thank you. And as we worship you now, God, we, we remember how much we've received in you, how good you are, how much you moved towards us when we were undeserving. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.